Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Let's chat a little bit. Uh, first of all, congratulations to your Gophers. A nice way to end the season, right? Yeah, you know, nobody expected them to go down and beat Auburn. I think everybody was talking about how good Auburn is. Um, you know, people don't realize how good P.J. Fleck has gotten this team to be, the amount of talent they have at receiver. You look at Rashad Bateman, who could have easily played at Georgia or Auburn. Um, we got him to commit. Um, Chris Williamson, who was at Florida, who transferred to Minnesota. Um, you know, so he's had some SEC guys actually leave the SEC via the transfer portal and come to Minnesota. So um, he's done a good job. And then also just growing the talent that he had with uh, Antoine Winfield, Tyler Johnson, and Carter Coughlin. And then a guy like, you know, Sam Renner, who nobody had heard of until this year. And now all of a sudden, you know, he's all Big Ten. So, yeah, P.J. Fleck and his staff, you know, I think overall they just do a good job of growing the talent. And it showed. I mean, you went up against, you know, a perennial blue blood in Auburn who beat Alabama, um, who possibly could have been in the college playoff if their schedule or their, you know, their other games that went their way. And the Gophers beat them, you know. So I think that that's a good way to end the season and a good way to start the recruiting trail. You know, they just lost Antoine Winfield today to the NFL. He's going to enter the draft. And, you know, so they have some big shoes to fill. But P.J. Flex up for the challenge. Um, he also lost Kirk Soraka, but he filled that offensive coordinator spot pretty fast as well. And uh, they're just going to keep the boat moving. I think that's the key with you know PJ is he doesn't um, you know waste a lot of time. He just keeps it moving, and the team you know I think breeds and shows that as well. They're kind of you know many PJs. They all you know believe in that, and you know you got to keep going forward. Yeah, it's it's funny. You know things are going pretty well when here in the Bison country, people are buzzing about the Outback Bowl win. So that's that's always a good thing too. Uh, let's chat a little bit. Speaking of buzzing, no doubt the Vikings after their win against the Saints, uh, a lot of people uh, anxious for this game against the Forty ers Some unfortunate news that uh, just kind of came out here that uh, Adam Thielen might have gotten dinged up a little bit in practice with an ankle, but hopefully that's nothing too serious. Yeah, you know the biggest thing is you know. It, Stuff like that happens. You're going to have ankles. You're going to have lower body injuries. And people always say, oh, you shouldn't practice. And it's like you can't play this game of football. My dad always taught me that growing up is if you go out there playing like you don't want to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. And I think that's the key. Um, the one positive about an ankle versus a hamstring again is that, you know, with an ankle or a calf or, a, you know, somebody kicks you in one-on-ones or whatever it might be, you know, stuff like that takes a couple days to heal, you know, like a broken finger even, you know. It takes a day or two to, to kind of not heal, but the pain to go away. And once that pain goes away, the next step is just pain management throughout the game so they can tape the ankle up or wrap the hamstring up. And then the goal is just to get through about 40. You know, they're only on the field. I think last week they had the ball for about 37 minutes. So you're really only out there for about 30 minutes of that 37, actually, in the ball control game. And so the goal is just to manage, you know, his injury to the point where he's getting – you know, if he had 11 targets, he's only on the field. You really only need him on the field for about 20 of those plays. One is a decoy sometimes, but then other than that, to make sure he's in there on the keep downs, keep plays. And if you can get through a game, I mean, it's the playoffs. The mindset now is win or go home. So there's no reason to really say let's rest them for next week because you can't, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed. So they're going to do what they need to do to rest them up tonight, tomorrow, Friday as well, flying out there. That's the only issue is whenever there's any kind of injury, like an ankle, like a hamstring, like a knee, anything that can possibly get a little bit of swelling is also managing it on the plane. Um, so, you know, if it is the ankle, they're going to wrap it up tight to make sure when they're flying there's no swelling in there. 
Um, cause that's the only thing that can hold somebody back is inflammation. It's not so much the injury it's the inflammation. Um, cause the injury itself, the inflammation is trying to protect you from moving in a certain way. And so you want a little bit of inflammation, but you don't want it to be so swollen. You can't move. And, you know, I think that's the key is getting to, you know, San, uh, San Francisco pretty early. And then once you're there, get to the hotel, ice it, stem it, warm it up, make sure you can go Saturday, same thing Saturday, waking up early, doing some stuff. And then, you know, once the game goes, just don't get cold. Ron Johnson with us, former Gopher, former NFL wide receiver. Chat a little bit about the guy who was uh, throwing the ball to him on that big pass in overtime. No doubt Kirk Cousins. I mean, that was the drive of his career so far. Yeah, I mean, Kirk Cousins is who he, he's been. You know, I think the problem is when you don't win on Monday Night Football, and he knows that as well, um, you know, when you go up against the Packers and you lose, you go up against the Bears and you lose, you know, it's the same thing as the Gophers. You know, if you lose to, um, you know, Wisconsin and Iowa, it doesn't matter that you, you know, won 11 games. People love the 11 games, but the fact that you lost to Wisconsin and Iowa kind of sucks. It's just like Michigan. You know, you can go 9-2, and two, but if you lost to Ohio State, you know, in that last game, everybody's not happy. They're not happy with the 9-3. and three. They would rather be, you know, 10-2 and two and beat an Ohio State than lose to anybody else. And so, you know, it, it's certain things like that, and that's the same with the, the Vikings. When you lose to the Packers and the Bears – people are going to come down on you. When you don't win on Monday night football where people think you should, people are going to come down on you. When you haven't won a Monday night football game or a big game, as people call it, you know, they're going to come down on it, the 84 million. But the fact that he made, you know, stepped up in the pocket, made a huge throw to Adam Thielen, getting hit, then turned around, you know, in overtime, made a huge throw to Adam Thielen over the shoulder. And Adam's catch was even, you know, even tougher because if you don't, if you notice, he's making like a baseball type over the shoulder catch where his head is completely bent backwards looking, trying to track the ball. And then the throw to Rudy was just on point. You know, you realize you got a six, you know, whatever, six, six tight end, and it's one-on-one. You got zero covers. The minute you recognize there's no safety help or there's no linebacker help, it's one-on-one. It's like Gronk. You know, it's the same thing that, that Brady does with Gronk. It's like when he had one-on-one with Gronk, it's like, it's going to Gronk. You just got to figure out how to stop it. And I think that that was the key for Kirk to kind of get that monkey off of his back, and that's why he kind of did the you like that in the locker room because – you know, whether he did it on purpose or not, he definitely felt a weight lifted off because nobody expected him to beat Drew Brees. You know, nobody expected him to go in there and win that game. The Saints didn't even expect it. Um, that's why the fans, I mean, that's the craziest ending I've seen where fans don't even get up and leave. They were all sitting there too, like, this can't be the end. Like, there's no way we just lost to Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Like, you know, the players didn't want to get off the field. The coaches really didn't leave. I mean, everybody was just kind of in shock. And so, you know, I think that's the next step just in his maturity is that he knows he can do it. Now he has to keep that same edge, though. Like, nobody likes you. Nobody, nobody thinks you're good enough. Keep that same energy because that's what got you to where you were on Sunday. It's got to get you to where you want to go on Saturday. Let me ask you about that play, too, because it, it, my biggest pet peeve is not letting them play. I think there's, you know, the, we had the egregious call last year with the Rams and Saints, but I think with the – hand fighting everything else that was going on. I thought John Perry from ESPN, the former official, all these guys are saying that should have been offensive pass interference. I'm sure you appreciate this as a former wide receiver. Yeah, but P.J. Williams is doing a lot of contact and grabbing too. I, I like it when they don't call instead of having offsetting penalties. That would have been the worst situation. Yeah, I mean, people can say what it should have been all day long. I mean, it should have been this. I mean, Hillary Clinton should have been president. She had more votes. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the Electoral College won out. So shut up. Like, who cares? Like, yep, it should have been offensive pass interference. It could have been defensive pass interference. You yeah. know, he was holding Rudy's arm, and Rudy literally is just the reaction to any receiver. 
if you're getting grabbed, your first reaction is to push off as well to say, let me go. And I think that's what the refs saw. You know, the refs aren't going to admit that because then technically they should have thrown a flag on the defender for holding. But at the end of the day, the play worked out in the favor of the way it should have gone. You grab his arm, he pushes you, boom, boom, balls in the air, touchdown. So, you know, that's one thing refs will never admit where if they let it go because of that's what they saw, that's, that's kind of the key. It's like, yep, I saw Because you can see them having that conversation and they're debating if they should review it or not and all the other stuff and yada, yada, yada. And you got New York in their ear as well. And that's the stuff we don't hear is, you know, the New York office buzzes over too. Because, it's, it's, I mean, it's literally a play that can end the game. And it's funny, I, I haven't tweeted out the video yet. I didn't even remember saying this, but on Fox, um, during the pregame show, one of the questions, I don't even know what the question was, but somebody sent me the clip like, dude, you were dead on. And I said, I said, this game is going to end in a play that everybody is going to tweet about and be pissed off about. Somebody's <laughs> going to be happy about it. Somebody's going to be pissed off about it. I said, but that's just how the Saints have always been. I was like, it's not going to be a miracle. I'm like, because that's all those miracles have been used up. So I was like, my, my key to the game was don't wait for a miracle. Just go get it. And that was one of those go-get-it moments for Rudy. Like, you can't wait for a miracle to happen. You just got to win the game now. And it came down to a controversial play. I didn't even remember saying that because, you know, an hour and a half of a pregame show, you just kind of go. And somebody sent it to me like, dude, you were dead on. And it came down to it. It just worked out that way. But I, I had a feeling – that that was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to be that, but I thought like something was going to happen where there's going to be a pass interference or some kind of play that everybody's going to tweet about. The Saints weren't going to be happy um, and they were going to gripe. I honestly, personally, I thought it was going to be reversed. I thought the Vikings were going to get screwed on oh, a play like yeah. that where it was a pass interference that should have been called maybe and they let it play so that the Saints would win. And I honestly think if, Williams was able to just like get a better grip on Rudy and actually grab his arm even harder. And Rudy had to make a one-handed catch. I still don't think they throw the flag. I think they review it. I think they do their due diligence like they say they are and like, Oh, yep, let's review it real quick. Yep. It was good. Yep. And then they run off the field because they don't want the saints one to lose a game because they had thrown a flag on them and you know, vice versa. They don't want the Vikings to win a game because they gave it to them. You know, I just, I just feel like for some reason, I mean, everybody, look at the post-game show um, after the game. None of the guys really had anything positive to say about the Vikings. It was kind of like, oh, the Vikings won. Oh, good job, Kirk. You know, it was like if Drew Brees had won, they would have broken down Drew Brees' life. They would have talked about how <laughs> Drew grew up in the city, you know, how this is Drew's legacy. You know, they would have done all kinds of storylines about Drew Brees and the Saints and you know, can't guard Mike and why they can't guard him. And I think that was lost, too. People had lost a lot of faith in Xavier Rose, and they were giving him a lot of crap. And Mike Thomas has never had a 100-yard game against Xavier Rose, never. Every game they played in the playoffs, regular season, no matter what, he's been the nemesis for Mike Thomas, and it happened again. He didn't have a 100-yard game. I think the two times he was guarding him, he only had like two catches for 20 yards. So it was not a Mike Thomas, you know, show – where, you know, the week before that, he ended up, or two weeks before that, he had, uh, no, the week before that, when he broke the record, or no, that was two weeks, he had, you know, like 13 targets, 11 catches, you know, like it just wasn't one of those days. Why? Because Xavier Rose can handle bigger receivers that aren't fast. And I think that's what I liked about Xavier's game that day. I like him versus 
a guy like a George Kittle, or if you put him on Debo Samuel, another big receiver that's not that fast, um, I think he can handle him. And so I think that's these next few matchups, you know, I think that they vote well for him other than the Packers. Why? Because Devontae Adams is fast. Yep. Devontae Adams runs tricky routes. That's the one team I think that scares everybody because of that speed. Xavier Rose right now with his hips, he doesn't have the speed he used to have years ago. And he's he's trying to, you know, come up with unique ways to guard guys without having to be exposed and that his hips are tight. Well, Mike Thomas doesn't turn your hips. He's not going to do a ton of routes. So it was a great game, you know, defensively, offensively. But again, you know, it came down to Kirk Cousins having to make a throw and I'm glad he did it. Ron Johnson with us again, former Gopher wide receiver, played in the NFL and part of Viking Fan Line. You said on Viking Fan Line that something I noticed during the game is they kept on t- trying to toss sweep to the left, and whenever it worked, especially in the red zone down at the goal line to Delvin Cook, they always got it to go in on the right side. They just run better to Ryan O'Neill's side. Yeah, I don't know if it's because uh, O'Neill moves a little bit better than Reef. Um, that could be part of it because. They don't run power run schemes. And, and basically, for people to understand what that is, it's real simple. Power runs just means your first step as an offensive lineman is forward. You're going forward, and you're still going to have some type of double team somewhere, but you're moving forward, and you guys are trying to move an immovable object, which is a 300-pound person in front of you or a 330-pound you know, enormous human being in front of you. But then there's the zone run scheme, and that's what the Vikings do, where your first step is lateral. You're still going to have double teams, but you're going to move lateral and in unison like a symphony. And so Brian O'Neill, I think, moves a little bit better. And that's the reason for it is his first step is so athletic and he can get space. He's forcing the defense in to reach. And by reach, that just means when they say reach, that means get outside. Put your outside arm on the outside of that tackle. Well, once he reaches and tries to contain O'Neill, O'Neal now has him moving lateral, so he's just going to push him out of bounds or push him you know, down, and if you watch Dalvin, his angle is at that guy. It's not the tackle. He's reading the end. If the end goes out, Dalvin goes inside. If the end goes inside, Dalvin goes outside. The big key block is the center and the guard have to maintain that second guy inside, which is either the three or the five technique. If they can maintain that guy, and this game is going to be DeForest Buckner, which is not easy. That's a another six, seven, you know, humongous human being. And so you have to be able to hold DeForest Buckner so that Dalvin can still cut back inside in that zone run. And then Rudy, of course, is helping O'Neal a little bit on the outside as well, or Irv Smith. And I think that's the biggest key is Stefanski has put together a great offensive run scheme for this team and the way they're built. They're small. They're not humongous. You know, like you look at Joe Staley and McGlinchey, you know, these are six, 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 seven. you know, McGlinchey's what, six, nine, you know, 330 pounds, you know, these are humongous people. The Vikings don't have that. You know, O'Neal is barely 300 pounds, and the other three guys are all under 300 pounds in the interior, which is exactly what the Denver Broncos had with, when uh, when uh, Kubiak was there. All his linemen, his interior linemen, he never had a guy, like Ben Hamilton was one of his guys, was a former gopher, 290 pounds. He never had a guy over 300 pounds. I think only one time in 10 years did he have one guard or center over 300 pounds and so he likes these type of offensive linemen small but strong can move and that's why this team runs and they run well to the right to the left they're okay you know but they have more negative runs left than they do right why because O'Neal's not getting penetration whereas Reef sometimes misses the block or a guy just gets in faster than you know than they thought and there's a tackle in the backfield so 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the thing. And that's also why Kirk Cousins, people keep wondering, why does Kirk Cousins roll left? And he's a right-handed quarterback. You know, you saw Michael Vick roll left a ton because he's left-handed. You see Aaron Rodgers roll right a ton because he's a right-handed quarterback. Well, Kirk Cousins, like Dak Prescott with the hip movement, he has the ability to roll left and then flip his hip and then deliver a strike. And so he's worked on that all offseason. That's the reason why it works because they're like, look, if we're running well to the right, there's no way to bootleg right. So what do we have to do? Bootleg left. And Kirk's, you know, answered the bell. They're like, we're going to ask you to do this. Can you do it? And Kirk's, you know, for I think eight weeks of the NFL season, he was the number one quarterback in the NFL, rolling left, throwing left. And so, you, and that's better than Aaron Rodgers, better than Russell Wilson, who does it, better than Dak Prescott, who does it, you know, better than Pat Mahomes, who does it and doesn't even look where he's throwing the ball. So Kirk Cousins has done some things this year that he's definitely been a top five quarterback statistically for most of the season, and nobody gives him credit to that. Yeah, it's it's really amazing what he's been able to do in the past few weeks, and I think with the steady running game with Delvin Cook healthy, certainly should help. Final thing for you, Ron, is uh, boy, defensively, you mentioned Buckner, and of course you have Nick Bosa, the rookie, on the other side, and you got Daniil Hunter, who is becoming a superstar right now. These two teams kind of mirror each other on the offensive side of the ball, and certainly on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, it's two teams that believe that, hey, we can run the ball. It's two teams that believe, hey, if we have a lead, our defense can win this game for us, so don't give them the ball back. And they both play that way. <clears throat> they both kind of, you know, maintain ball control, maintain the time of possession. Um, the defense is a bend-but-don't-break type of defense. They're going to keep the ball in front of them. They're not going to allow you to have one-strike drives. And so that's going to be the key. Richard Sherman is one of the smartest cornerbacks in the NFL ever. You know, Stanford grad, um, you know, could have had his doctorate if he wanted. He's his own agent right now. You know, he just did his own contract, and he made $4 million in bonuses of a contract that he negotiated. And when he did it, pro football focus and all these pro football talk, all these people said he was stupid for representing himself. And he bet on himself by doing it. And what happens? He doesn't have to give a red cent to anybody. <laughs> that $4 million is his, and he just has to figure out with Uncle Sam how much he's going to give him. And there's a lot of tax shelters where he doesn't have to give them anything if he figures out enough a good charity to say, hey, instead of I'm giving it half to the America, let me give half, or the government, let me give half to, you know, the Boys and Girls Club or whatever, and then he's covered. So he can walk away unscathed with $2.5 million, and he doesn't have to pay an agent. And so I think that's, that's where a lot of people don't give him credit for that. But, yeah, defensively, they, they look just like the Vikings. They want to attack, you know, the quarterback. They're going to send Bosa, you know, let him loose. And they're going to, you know, try to get you to look inside with, you know, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead on the other side and so that they can free up Bosa one-on-one. And he's a freak. I mean, he, he moves just like his brother. He's strong. He's fast. He has a lot of the same spin moves. Um, and so the, the, the uh, Chargers game actually is going to help them because both Bosa brothers play the same game. They have the same moves. They work out together. So I know for the tackles, they should be able to watch a little bit of the Joey Bosa tape to kind of get an idea of what Nick wants to do because it's the same stuff, same move, same, you know, everything. They, they work out together, they have the same spin, the same, you know, up and under. I've watched film on both, and it's, it's mirror images of each other. So that's the good thing is they've already played the Chargers, so they do have an idea of that. But at the end of the day, once the bullets start flying, you just got to protect yourself and then get out there and, and, you know, throw a bullet back. If they score, Kirk Cousins has to realize this, is, this might be one of those – you know, 40 to 42 games, or it could be a 20 to 21 game, you know, 
whatever it is, you got to go after it. So the defense is going to dictate what the score is, you know, more so than the offense, I think, in this game. This is one of those games where the defense, if they're playing stout, it's going to be tough. If the defense is giving up plays, then it's going to be, hey, bide your time, let's punt, let's play the field position game. Um, but this is definitely not one of those games where the offense is going to dictate it. I think this is definitely a dictated, a defensive dictated game where they're going to call the shots and they're going to, you know, say this is how it's going to go. So, but yeah, both teams are pretty much the same. I think Kirk Cousins is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, also think Dalvin Cook is better than their, you know, plethora of running backs because they're kind of a, you know, running back by committee group. Whoever has the hot hand, Campbell or uh, Coleman or Mozart, they're going to let that guy get the bulk of the carries for the day. And then offensively, the big difference is their number one guy is their tight end in Kittle. Um, ours is either Diggs or Thielen. So, you know, but other than that, they, they both are going to come out guns blazing. Um, and it's going to, you know, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be one of those slugfests. And I, I think I call it a street fight in games like this in the playoffs. Whoever has the ability to punch somebody in the mouth and not care will win this game. If the Vikings don't come out with that attitude of, screw this, I don't care who they are, we're going to beat them, they'll be fine. But if they're in that, you know, this is number one seed, 13-3 type of team, then no. But they have to remember, they were 13-3 and and lost to the Eagles, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's going to be a wild one. I, all I know is my blood pressure, if it's like it was last week, I hope it make it all the way to the NFC Championship game if they win. Uh, certainly a lot of fun. Lo- love listening to you on fan line. Be looking forward to that on a Saturday night. Ron, thanks for your time as always, and we'll catch you on Saturday. Oh, no, I appreciate it.